0: The Lifestyle Show on RTE Radio 1 Extra.
1: Welcome to The Lifestyle Show on RTE Radio 1 Extra with me, Towerlock Grant. So this is the show where we talk to and feature the best interviews that we have on rte.ie forward slash lifestyle and also in the lifestyle section of the RTE News Now app. So today we're talking to Motoring Editor Donal Byrne. Donal, thanks so a for joining us in studio.
0: You're welcome,
1: Charlie. So what we're talking about today is family cars, how to choose them. What is a family car? What's involved in those big decisions from budget right through to whether you should go, well, I was gonna say diesel, maybe not. Electric, petrol, what does the budget decide? Can you get three seats in the back? Everything that you could want to know, Donal is going to do his very best to cover in the next so. yeah 25 or so minutes. So Donal, what exactly is a family car?
0: Well, that's a very good question, Tara, because uh, families come, as you know, in all shapes and sizes. Uh, One size doesn't fit all. You have people who have one child, two children, three children, four children at different ages and stages. So you really got to do quite a lot of homework. You know, the the material is out there. You should be making an informed decision. But I'm always surprised at how little homework people actually do. Uh, For example, if you go to buy a car, you should be fitting that car into your lifestyle as part of your test experience. There's absolutely no point in driving around a roundabout and up and down a main road and back and saying, I really like this car. It feels this, it feels that. When you discover, when you take it home, that it doesn't take your car seats, that it doesn't have room in the boot for your golf clubs or your squash gear or whatever. And all the things that we tend to ferry around. And the other questions are the, the practicality of the car. Does it suit your lifestyle? Is it easy to park? For example, some of the really big people carriers have what we call a really wide turning circle which is a bit like trying to turn a tanker around in a a supermarket car park. And lots of us incur dints and dings and bangs and so on, even on a brand new car, simply because it may just be too big or commensurately it may just be too small. Yeah. So I my experience is that a lot of people have a fixed idea of what kind of car they would like. They see another car on the road or they see a car in a showroom and they say, wow, I really like that. They become seduced, if you like, by the experience of going in, possibly getting out of their seven or eight-year-old second-hand car and saying, this is amazing. Smell this car, how new it feels. Look, it's got this, it's got buttons for that and so on. And quite often I find that uh, car salespeople... You know, they're out to sell cars. Uh, they're not out to point out faults or question you on your mm-hmm. lifestyle. Some of them are actually very good and will say to you, are you sure this is going to fit your lifestyle? I would have no hesitation whether I was buying a second hand car or a new car in insisting on taking it home. Great. Park it in the driveway drive it your normal route to the school run, uh, drive it down to the local supermarket, park it, uh, see whether it actually fits in your driveway, uh, ensure that you, you've adequate space to, to, uh, to keep it and take a lot of things into consideration if you have child seats, for example. There's no point in looking at a, a car that only accommodates two child seats if you need three. Yeah. Uh, commensurately, uh, if, you need, if you have three kids at different stages, for example, uh, one of them may be about to move on to a booster seat which is, you know, a requirement when children get slightly older and bigger. Uh, So do you really need the three big car seats in the back for an entire year or two years or three years? It could be that you're moving on uh, in terms of the child's development and so on to saying, look, I can keep my current car until we just need two child seats, which might make an awful lot of sense rather than going out and buying a car, which is partially redundant in terms of your requirements, maybe a year down the road.
1: Brilliant. And that is a really, really big factor. And you're so right. I've done it myself where you get the test drive, but really you're just going up and down. The roundabout, up at the end of the road and back again. So what, can do, what do you need if you go into the garage and say, OK, I want to test drive this, whether it's a new car or a second hand, what will they ask for?
0: Well, they'll need, obviously, some undertaking or guarantee that you're going to bring the car back. Yeah. But I mean, this is based on trust. If someone said to me, no, you can't take the car out or you can't take it home, I just walk. OK. Why, why hang around? Will well, they you, ask for a big deposit? the second biggest investment after buying exactly. your home, the chances exactly. are, It's a lot of money. It's yeah. a lot of commitment, whether you're taking out a loan or you're paying in cash. Yeah. You've earned the cash. Yeah. You've worked hard to get it. That's right. You're investing an awful lot in something that is central to your life. And why would you invest so much in something that is so central to your life when it doesn't fit?
1: No, and will they ask for like a five hundred euro deposit or something? And will no, they give in, it? Not
0: in my experience. No. no, I mean the chances are, particularly if you live outside Dublin, for example, uh, you know the local dealer. So That's They know true. where you live. You know yeah. you, they know you're not going to drive off and do a ten thousand kilometre journey across Europe and then bring the car back and say you don't want it. Okay. You know it is based on trust and. Uh, Dealers, you know, these days, they're, they're savvy enough, you yeah. know, they'll realize that, uh, for example, if you take a hybrid car, for example, if, if if people were thinking of buying a hybrid or electric car, the dealer understands that this is a whole lifestyle change for people. It's a whole driving change. It's a whole experience that's new to them. Why on earth would you drive a car like that for 25 minutes and say, yeah, wow, this is great. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. because, as I say, you may find out and, you know, for example, with electric cars, they're not for everyone. If you're doing very high mileage, well, then you really shouldn't consider one. Certainly not at this point in time. You may be better off looking at, for example, a hybrid. But again, these are new experiences for people. It's a lot of money. I would certainly insist and I'd advise anyone else to insist that you at least take this home, Uh, it's a bit like buying a piece of sports equipment. Uh, You don't just go in and take the first tennis racket that the person hands you when you discover that it doesn't suit your arm length or, you know, the width of the face of the racket isn't big enough. So why on earth would you do it it when you're talking about spending twenty, twenty-five thousand 25,000 euros?
1: Great. So hopefully all they take is your license, maybe, or some form of ID. I
0: I don't think it's going to be that formal. I mean, proof of identity and knowing where you live. (laughs) Uh, You know, you're not walking onto a forecourt looking like someone who's a car thief uh, who's working under the guise of taking a test drive yeah um and i think as long as the dealer and as i say most dealers are a bit more creative nowadays they would be happier for you to come back and buy that car knowing that the chances are when you buy your next car keep, you'll come yes, back to them again very true so it's about customer very loyalty. good
1: okay okay so now moving on to the serious business as you said there diesel petrol electric hybrid how now are we people weighing that up and what's your advice
0: Well, I suppose we've had a lot of controversy recently. The decision by the British government to ban the sale of petrol and diesel cars in 2040. That doesn't include hybrids. So hybrids are quite safe. If I can just explain a hybrid concept, because it's very confusing sometimes. A hybrid is a car that has a petrol engine and a battery. And it's designed in heavy traffic situations or at low speeds to run on the battery. And then the petrol engine can kick in. The big advantage of a hybrid is you don't have to plug it in. And secondly, you're not going to run out of fuel or you're not going to suffer from range, anxiety and so on. So hybrids are, you know, still very much a part of the landscape for people buying cars. The question I've been asked most in the last few days is whether when people are buying their next car, should they be going straight into electric? My view is not. Uh, I think it's going to take it's going to take years. Uh, I think it will probably take about seven or eight more years before we have an absolutely clear picture of what the electric market is going to be, what the infrastructure is going to be, because don't forget, where are we going to find yeah, all this electricity? Absolutely. And the other thing is, all electricity charging for cars currently is free. But the HSP are going to have to charge for this. Right. The government will be looking for their income stream back. Uh, motor tax in this country uh, takes in one over €1 billion Euros a year. That's just in car tax. If you take fuel tax on fuel... of the cost of a litre of petrol or diesel is tax. Wow. So work it out at 123 or 124 per litre, 66% is tax straight off.
1: So, I mean, that's so, that money has to be yeah. recouped. So, th- somewhere. so there's a whole
0: infrastructural challenge. Uh, you've got to have an adequate number of fast charging points. At the moment, there are 75 fast charging points, which will take you between 25 and 40 minutes to charge a car. 75 is not enough by any stretch. Then you have slower ones. Most people tend to be quite disciplined with electric cars and they charge them at night. Yes. So the car is ready to go the next day but when you are in need of a charge you'll very often probably have noticed yourself some people come along plug in their electric car leave it there for the day and have free parking and take the bus into town
1: oh. or other people
0: just park on a charging bay and they just walk away there's no sanction so you've got to have designated areas I did not, not just know that. for um, people to charge their cars but people who will know through connectivity with an app on their phone where a charging point is available and free for them So there are all sorts of issues. As I said, the the power one, uh, there's been speculation in the UK recently that what will happen when you have the full transfer to electric power is you're going to get a surge in the evening time. Everyone comes home, has a meal, plugs in their car. The national grid is not going to be able to cope currently, the experts say. So they're building, for example, a new nuclear plant in Britain called Hinkley Point. Uh, the British government couldn't even afford to build it themselves. The current costs on it are £20.1 billion. Pounds. Wow. The calculation from some quarters is they're, they're going to need another five Hinkley points to match the demand for electric cars when they become the national fleet. Yeah. So there are all sorts of issues. And as well as that, car manufacturers, some have embraced uh, very quickly and very comprehensively electric power. Volvo, as you probably know, mm. announced recently that within a few short years, they will not be making any new model which has a conventional petrol or diesel engine. BMW, on the other hand, when they announced the um, electric mini uh, this week, uh, said, we will broaden our production infrastructure to accommodate demand. So they're hedging that's their clever. bets. And mm. That's even that's BMW. That's a very big multinational company saying, let's see how this goes. If we need to meet the demand, we can ramp up the production, but we're hedging our bets. We're going to continue with both and BMW will continue to produce a very wide range. In fact, one of the biggest ranges of electric cars on the market, but they will also continue to manufacture and produce petrol and diesel for as long as they think. A, they can get away with it and B, as long as people want it and C, uh, for as long as it takes for the electric revolution to be complete.
1: Now, Donald, before we get into new or second hand, diesel or petrol? So we've talked there, you've talked hybrid, you've talked electric. Diesel seems to be, is it the bad, bad word?
0: Yes, it is. I mean, I think what's happening is... If we go back to 2008 when people were encouraged to buy diesel cars and they were incentivized by the government, which was partially a green government. Eamon Ryan was a minister. I spoke to him recently after the, the dieselgate scandal uh, and I asked him, how, how did this all go wrong in 2008? And he essentially said that he and other ministers at European level were led by the motor industry to believe that any problems could be fixed. Diesel could be sorted. But there was a complete underestimation of the damage that nitrous oxide does and diesel particulates are a killer around the world from every big economy like China where sometimes it's hard to see you know the hand in front of your face the smog is so bad Mexico City is exactly the same Athens is exactly the same Paris, London and all of these cities have already decided whatever the policy is they are banning diesel cars from their city centres from 2025
1: Wow I mean that's Pretty scary for anybody who so it is. You know. It is,
0: and I think the problem is that you know, it, you know, the technology is there to to clean up diesel. Uh, the willingness is probably there, albeit slightly forced at this stage on the car manufacturers. But the problem is, since the the gate scandal, when Volkswagen initially um, were caught cheating on their emissions, basically telling people that their cars were much cleaner, uh, they put in a piece of software that uh, detected the way the car was being driven at a particular time and whether the engine was being tested. But once you drove out on the road, the emissions levels were entirely different. It's ironic, um, hugely ironic, I think, that uh, so many people who bought diesel cars, people who have families, people who were worried about their kids' health, That's are it. driving to school along the school route, emitting Uh, fumes from diesel which are harmful to the environment and are actually killing people and causing all sorts of breathing difficulties for children, adults, elderly people and so on across the world. The problem is that because the, the, uh, I think the European car industry has essentially lost its credibility, they're no longer trusted to fix the problem. So they can't go back to governments this time and say, I know we said we'd do it last time around. We can really do it this time around. And there is... There's a very clear departure now. Hybrid sales are up significantly in Ireland. So people are conscious of the environment. Uh, Toyota hybrid sales, I think, are up around 37%. Are they? Wow. Uh, petrol is now beginning to come back because people realise they were hoodwinked into buying diesel cars. They paid more for them. They've had more problems with them. Uh, I don't want to get too technical, but it, there is a, a, a device called a DPF, a diesel particulate filter which is fitted to diesel cars, its job is essentially to burn the bad stuff out of the diesel exhaust. Unless you're doing high mileage every year, the diesel particulate filter doesn't work properly. So you get the buildup of the residue and then that creates problems in turn. You get a little warning light saying you've got a problem with this. If the problem has gone far enough and you have to replace your diesel particulate filter, which a lot of people with very low mileage have had to do or get it cleaned out, it's cost them over a thousand euros. What, what so, you know, constitutes high mileage? High mileage, I would say, uh, and I'm not alone in this, in suggesting that the kind of mileage you need to be doing, the minimum mileage is around 25,000 kilometres a year for a oh diesel engine. Oh, my God. Most people are doing somewhere probably Ten. around 12 in cities yeah. like Cork, Galway, um, uh, Dublin, Limerick, uh, Waterford and so on. Um in in diesel terms, diesel engines were always designed for high mileage. They're essentially agriculture, agricultural or industrial units. Uh, they're slightly more crude. They are very good uh, at fuel economy when the mileage is there. So if you're a commercial traveller or you're a business rep or you're someone who's a country GP or you're a farmer or you're somebody who actually needs it, well and good, it works perfectly. But there are so many people in cities who, as I say, were hoodwinked into buying diesel cars. I actually had one salesman admit to me that he had sold a diesel car to his mother. Um, Now, it was a small enough diesel engine and I asked him why. And he said, well, it was a good deal at the time. But God, do I feel bad. Oh, did he say So, you know, he's been quite honest about it. But that was the that was the culture of the time. You know, we went from a relatively small diesel penetration in the Irish market to 75 percent. Three out of every four cars being bought were diesel and half of those cars, if you look, drill down through the figures and look at where they were sold, they were sold in towns and cities. So you have people driving from the equivalent of Dunleary into the city centre who shouldn't have been in a diesel car in the first no, place.
1: No, but with thanks to your friend, the that car salesman, he, he he's partly to blame, and he's not giving them any sort of a good reputation, is he? Selling well, it he, th- that car is, to his he, own he mother. He wasn't alone. No, every that's single, what I mean.
0: Not alone was every single salesman or woman. Sure, saying the government. Diesel. Yeah. The government were saying yeah. we're incentivising you to do this, and everybody who came in was looking for a diesel on the basis that they were more economical to run. Okay. Okay. They're not. Now, don't they like, are in perfect circumstances, but not in most. Okay,
1: really, really good advice there. So let's say, for example, now you're coming in, you have your diesel car because you did and followed the advice at the time and 2007 and eight, and you bought your diesel car. It, let's say you ha- hung on to it all that time. It's ready. You're ready for a change. Whether, again, we'll get to it in a second, newer or unused you're going for. What are your options with diesel? Is it very bad trade in value? What's happening? You
0: see, again, it's going back to your requirements, your individual requirements. If you're not doing the mileage, don't even think about a diesel. Don't no, even think this about is it. when
1: you're trading up now and you're going for petrol. So, as you said, why would you go for diesel at this stage? So you're coming in, you've got your 2009 diesel car. Are you going to get a very, very bad trade in value on that?
0: I think inevitably diesel cars uh, have taken a hit. Yes, the demand for diesel is dropping. I think the latest figures suggest that the figures for diesel sales in Europe are down 10% already. Wow. Uh, There are people moving back to petrol simply because they've had enough of diesel. And they're probably, you know, doing something mundane like doing the daily commute. The daily commute in Ireland is on average 26 kilometres. Okay. That's it per day. Now, there is no way you could consider a counterins a diesel engine in those kind of circumstances. If you're living, uh, for example, if you're a nurse in Mallow and you're working in Cork or vice versa, well, then you really should be looking at diesel because right now it is the optimum choice. Uh, The the nearest viable alternative right now is a hybrid. There are quite a few hybrid cars on the market. They do work well. They do return very good fuel economy figures. But in terms of opting, for example, for electric, I am not entirely convinced that the infrastructure is there just yet. I I welcome the fact that we have now apparently made a commitment to to get it all up and running. Um, Electric is not for everyone, and particularly if you've got high mileage, you know, charging will be an issue. But for the vast majority of people doing the ordinary commute, for example, as I say, 26 kilometers or, um, you know, somewhere just outside Cork City into the center, if you're doing that kind of low mileage. Uh, electric would make perfect sense as long as you're disciplined and you need to be disciplined. There's no one saying I'm tired this evening or I want to go to the gym. I'm not going to charge the car because the car will not start if it's not charged. So you've got to adopt your lifestyle to it. But once you do, and I know from electric vehicle owners, they have adapted to the lifestyle. They are careful. They are disciplined. And they're willing to make those little sacrifices for their consideration for the environment. it worked well
1: okay okay and for those then who would you recommend petrol for
0: i would recommend petrol for anyone who's doing low mileage and what i say low low to average mileage is maybe 12 to fifteen thousand. what a lot of people don't realize is that petrol engines and technology have moved on an awful lot there was this and there is still this ingrained belief that people have diesel uses much less fuel Uh, most people don't realize that if you pull out of an average housing estate or you drive along an average road on acceleration, you're probably using about 16, 17 litres per 100 kilometres until you settle into a rhythm of driving. So the, the figures, uh, the headline figures that we see, oh, you know, and, and by the way, I don't believe uh, fuel consumption figures from any manufacturer. Okay. Uh, I'll be blanket in my not condemnation, but my suspicion. Uh, the, the claims that I've seen for the average consumption that you will get is not, generally speaking, what you would experience in real life.
1: OK, interesting. So
0: just to answer your question, yeah. for someone doing low mileage, uh, suburban commuting, uh, short distances or even just the occasional run down the country, uh, there are several uh, one, 1 litre, 1.1 and 1.2 petrol engines that will take you from A to B in comfort and security you don't need the diesel option. If, on the other hand, you are going back into that high mileage bracket, then you absolutely need it.
1: Now, new and versus used. Of course, budget is a huge factor in this. What are you seeing in terms of figures? Has there been a big post-recession increase in people buying new cars? What's happening out there?
0: It's tailored off, yes. There, there was a recovery last year, the year before. There's been a steady um, increase in the number of people buying cars. And, um, I, I don't think the motor industry itself would describe it as a boom uh, because they would expect slightly more sales. One of the things that has really come into play is imports. People really? going to Northern Ireland, people going to the UK. Uh, I spoke to a friend of mine the other day who bought himself um, a mid-sized uh, Japanese car in the north and has just taken delivery of it. And he says he's saved 5000 euros. Wow. Now, there are issues around that, You've you know, mm. the history of the car, where exactly it came from, who do you go back to if you have a problem and so on and so forth. But there are certainly an awful lot of people. I think the average number of imports coming into the country at the moment is around seven and a half thousand a month. Wow. That's what percentage is that? is
1: that? Are they new cars or
0: used? Secondhand imports. Secondhand.
1: And so what percentage of the market is that?
0: Well, the second-hand market is very significant. The new car market, you're talking about in or around 100,000. But how many of those would have bought new cars is another question. Yeah. So, I mean, there are people who are naturally disposed for budget reasons or other reasons to buying a second-hand car. And then there are people who will never buy a new car because they say, hey, the depreciation is so much in the first six to 12 months. Why would I lose that what kind is of money?
1: When you drive off the forecourt?
0: Oh, I think you're looking at <clears throat> anywhere up to 10% straight away. You know, as soon as you've put a, a few kilometers on it, um, certainly, uh, it's it's a bit like you know winning a car in a draw, and someone says, "Well, I've won the car. I don't want it, so I can sell it." So look up the price of the car. It's nineteen thousand, twenty-five thousand, whatever it is. They're not going to get anywhere near that because price for that car.
1: It's seen as being secondhand. Essentially. Unbelievable Because you
0: have now Taken possession of the car So the mm-hmm. next person Is going to be the second owner It's a second hand car
1: I'm sorry my jaw I'm a Yeah, yeah Because
0: that, that's, <laughs> that's why People who run raffles And draws and things like yeah. this They're generally buying At a trade price You can't expect to bring it Back to the dealer Who has built in His profit margins On all his other new cars To hand you over His profit margin Plus a bonus To say thank you very much For taking the car well, It still, just doesn't work I like still that.
1: would like to win And it might be then The first Absolutely, ever new car Absolutely keep subscribing To your credit union <laughs> yeah Family cars, they get in such a mess. Honestly, on a weekly basis, I'm looking in the back seat and go, good God, what happened here? Car seat covers. What's your view?
0: I, I actually tend to roll over and surrender about these things. Yeah. It's it's probably the reason I would not buy, if I had a young family, I would not buy a new car yeah. uh, because I'm investing my money into something which is going to be trashed <laughs> and there's no other way to describe it. And, yeah. you know, car covers are no. You know what kids do with pots of yogurt and ice creams and lollipops, uh, sun cream. Easy
1: knowing you're a dad. And That's exactly what's in my backseat. So, page.
0: you know, uh, my view is at that stage in, in your family life, You really should be looking for a pretty sensible option that you are not going to get upset about when there's a little dink on the outside or you've got palm prints of sun cream on the boot that will not be removed. Just suck it up, let it go. And then when the kids are old enough, retreat into the space and comfort of somewhere where you can be on your own with no noise, with your own music and your own comfort.
1: A two-seater then, is it?
0: (laughs) Uh, No, I don't think so. Even at my advanced stage, two-seaters. Well, they're fun. Therefore, Give me a Mazda okay. MX-5.
1: Okay. Uh, Mazda which? MX-5. Nice, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Donald, before we run out of time in this, what are the key things you need to look at if you're looking at buying a family car?
0: I think the first thing you have to do with any car is establish a realistic budget. There's no point in saying, I would love to have that Jaguar or I would love to have that um, um, uh, huge SUV or whatever. You've got to realise what you can afford. How much can you afford to repay? Do you go for a loan? Do you go for a personal contract purchase agreement, uh, which have all sorts of complications built into them? Uh, Do you buy in cash? Uh, A lot of very savvy people will wait until they've saved enough to, to get the kind of car they want without going down the road of car finance, a lot of people don't have that option yes. if you're getting involved in car finance make sure you know exactly what you are getting involved in okay. because they're you know the the old uh saw about uh, you know the small print and so on it really is critical uh, in these kind of situations insurance how much is going to cost to insure tax how much is the annual tax on it you know if you're paying 600 euros for example or if you buy a big luxury two liter petrol car uh, or even bigger, and you end up with tax of a thousand, twelve hundred, eighteen hundred. It's ridiculous. But some people, you know, lose sight of the, the the real parameters they should be looking at. Mileage. If you're buying second hand, you need to be bearing in mind average mileage twelve to fifteen thousand. If it's way beyond that, I've looked at a car the other day which was one year old and had eighty thousand kilometers on it. I mean, that's just phenomenal Okay, mileage. so
1: average twelve to fifteen. Average twelve important. to
0: fifteen thousand kilometers a okay, year. Uh, now, you know, if it goes to twenty. That's not really a big issue. But if it goes into serious mileage beyond that, then you really need to start considering what parts are going to need to be replaced on this.
1: (coughs) That's me. Yeah.
0: If it's if it looks too good to be true, the chances are it is. And the price will often reflect that. Uh, The history of the car. Uh, It's amazing the number of people who are caught out buying cars um, and figures published recently um, suggest that uh, cars registered in the past three years, uh, a significant number of them, two third, one third, I think, uh, have money owed on them. So if you buy a car that has outstanding finance, the bank is going to come looking for its money when the person who sold it to you has disappeared And it's extraordinary how many people have been caught out buying a car from someone either online or some other way who've gone to the local supermarket car park to meet someone who's (laughs) selling them a car and said, yeah, this is exactly what I want. Here's the bank draft and off they go. Who is that person? Do they owe money on that car? There's a very high probability that there's money owed on a lot of cars out there, no matter how old they are. And uh, if you're caught, as I say, the bank or the finance company is going to come looking for its money and you now have their car. In other words, you don't own that car. Yeah. You own the equity of the car minus what's owed to the bank. So if there's five grand outstanding on a car, pay up the five grand or give us the car.
1: Unbelievable. Yes. Um, Okay.
0: So knowing who you buy from, my preference is to go to a dealer. I'm not suggesting for a moment that there are. Every private seller is devious, but I think private sellers have an unrealistic expectation of what the car is worth. They very often go to the garage for a trade in. They're not happy with the trade in value. They look up online what they think the car is worth from a dealer, which, as I mentioned before, has all sorts of profit margins and considerations Everything. built into it. It doesn't reflect the real value of the car, but they're fixed on that value. So they're saying to you, "No, no, this car is worth 15,000 or whatever. The chances are in a garage situation, it could be worth eleven. You could be going in buying the same car with a guarantee from a garage for maybe 12, 12 and a half. Uh, so I would always, my preference is to go to a dealer, preferably a main dealer, because there's someone to go back to. And also things to look out for are warranty. For example, uh, Kia I have a seven year warranty. If you buy a three year old Kia, you still got a four year warranty. I love that. You take it with you. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great comfort to, to uh, someone. And the other thing I would always look out for is a full service history just to make sure that it's not forged. But if there's a full service history, it's very reassuring to know that the person who had the car before you was the person who looked after it.
1: So that is Donal Byrne, the motoring editor. You can read more uh, from Donal and read his articles on rte.a forward slash lifestyle and also in the lifestyle section of the RTE News Now app. So talking all about family cars. We'll also be talking very soon about student cars, what to look out for, what sort of budgets, everything that you could want to know if you're thinking of investing as a student in a brand new Motor. Thanks a million for listening, and we'll be back to you next week.
0: The Lifestyle Show with Tara Lockery Grant on RTE Radio 1 Extra.